Welcome to another Kingdom Community Church podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. So this, this weekend is called the Prophetic Awakening. Um, and I, I want to I take you somewhere. We want to take you somewhere um, beyond just having an immediate dream interpreted, because we do want to do that. But we, I want to show you a bigger picture. God wants you to see a much, much bigger picture. Um, can, I, can I ask you a question? And you are allowed to respond. It's not a rhetoric question. It's not a, a mute question. Um, can you tell me why Jesus died on the cross? And I know that could be offensive to you if you think I'm belittling you or being rude to you. But give me some ideas of why Jesus died on the cross, please. To restore something? To restore our relationship with the Father. Yes, sir, you had your hand up. Destroy the works of Satan. Absolutely, yes, yes. Because of love, you know, God so loved the world, John three sixteen. Anybody else? To fulfil the word, yes. To save us from death and damnation. Every one of these answers is correct, but I'm, I'm building a picture here, all right, and I have a point in answering such a, you know, a question that we all would be able to answer. Is there any more for any more? Why did Jesus die on the cross? To break a curse, yes? For remission of sins, okay. To heal us. You, you can't get this wrong if you've been born again. For a relationship with the Father, absolutely. Uh, and yet, uh, God's uh, showed me that God wants to make some new wineskins here. All right. And you don't know what you're missing unless you see somebody start to move in something that you realise is a Christian reality. All right, I'm, using, I'm choosing my words correctly here. Now, every one of those is correct, but only half the story. All right, and so God wants to break that, a religious mindset here. Is that okay? Because all of you have been programmed, all right? And you've been programmed to only half the story, okay? And today, God wants to stretch that and break those boundaries. Are you okay? Yeah. Right, so my Bible says, <clears throat> Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 to 14. It says, Giving thanks unto the Father, who has made us partakers of an inheritance, and has translated us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son, or into the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And we've received forgiveness, remission of sins. You see, that's a rider. And we have remission of sins. All right. This church is called Kingdom Culture Church, but none of you told me about the kingdom that is now existent because you're programmed religiously and God wants to break that. Now, if this is a prophetic weekend, you'll see how this fits into that prophetic weekend. Now, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, who is the express, who's, who's the radiance of His glory, the express image of His person, who holds all things by the, by the word of His power, when He had purged, when He Himself had purged our sins, sat down at the, next to the majesty on high. Jesus is now ruling and reigning in heaven. And we have all been programmed to, to project a future kingdom when we don't understand eternity. 
Eternity is both future and it's now. And the Bible says, Jesus said to His disciples, some of you will not taste death until I come into my kingdom. We have all been programmed to think dispensationally in time that His kingdom will come into place when it is not so much. It's that, there is that, but it's also spatial. It's a dimensional reign. He's in, he's in rule and reign here right now. And you've got to break a mindset, a religious mindset. And God's doing that this morning. He's making new wineskins. He's breaking out of those old wineskins and releasing some stuff this morning. Are you okay? Hebrews, so I read Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Think about this. Colossians 1, 12 through 14. I just want to tie this together so you know it has a good, strong, strong scriptural base. Uh, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8, when he ascended, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now, when Jesus ascended, that's him going to His throne. Let me, go, let me track back a bit. Most of us have bought half a gospel. Most of us have bought a 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 to 4 gospel. And our version of that gospel is that Jesus died, was buried and rose again. And we think that's the gospel. It's only half the gospel. If you continue to read on to verse 25, He's now waiting for His enemies to be put under His footstool. All right, and so he's sitting alongside the Father, waiting for his enemies to be displaced. And that our role is to displace them. He's now commissioned us as his ambassadors. He's now empowered us. When Jesus said, all power has been given to me, he has all power. All right, but the church is deluded, been blindsided of the fact that, that he's now in rule and reign right now. So when it says he, 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 when he ascended, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. That is the scene of a triumphant king coming back from the scene of a battle where he's just won. And he's now coming back to his capital and his throne room. And in the process, he has a cavalcade, a parade of all of those that were captive. And, and he has the spoils that the enemy had taken. And now he's distributing those spoils to His people and to us who were his in, in that train, His captives. Jesus is victorious. Are you okay? Amen. Breaking old wineskins, creating new ones. The Kingdom is here right now. You and I do not have to wait till we die to step into eternity. Eternity is here. And it is a future. We just don't understand that in terms of we're thinking in chronological time. All right, so let me, just, I've got to think through, make sure I've rounded it off enough. All right, so let me just, you know, so I've given you number three or four verses there. Give me, I'll give you another verse. Acts chapter one, verse three. It says that Jesus was with the disciples for 40 days, teaching the things pertaining to the kingdom. Well, if you read that passage of Scripture, None of the disciples wrote down what He told them. Why? If, if this was for a future dispensation, surely they would have written it like they did the book of Acts, like the, the, the Gospels. And we would have that to equip us to step into the Kingdom in some future dispensation. The reason He didn't write it down is because they were going to step into it right away. They stepped into it the moment He ascended because wherever the King is, when He's enthroned, there is the Kingdom. 
Wherever the king is, that's why the presence is so important in a meeting. That's why worship is so important in a meeting. You know what worship does? Worship is one of the things that it does is it declares the end from the beginning. It declares he's already won that battle. And if we understand that he's already won that battle, suddenly worship enthrones him. Right, and then suddenly he's in rule and reign and healings break out. Are you okay? Whew. We, we need a mind renewal. Now, watch this. The children of Israel moved from Egypt through the wilderness into the promised land, correct? Now, we read that. We tend to think it's all couched in religion, so it's not relevant to us because we're New Testament believers. We've got a new covenant. But within that, stories, narratives, that's not without purpose. The re- one of the reasons why they did not record what Jesus taught them is because it's already written. It's encoded. It's encoded from cover to cover in the book we call the Bible. And what we've done is we've got lost in the parable, we've got lost in the narratives and stories and failed to see beneath the surface of them what God's saying. That's why these disciples in Luke 24 had the, the revelation burning within them as Jesus started to unlock the truths about Himself as they're walking there to Emmaus. Are you with me? He's actually releasing stuff to them. And it's beyond Isaiah 53. When we come to the communion table, we primarily use that or we use the first Corinthians. You've got to examine yourself. You know, don't do it unworthily. And we go to Isaiah 53 by stripes, we're healed. And it becomes a repetitious and sometimes we go, well, let's not do communion because it is so repetitious. And we don't realise the worth of us sitting at that table and what's there, the plethora of provision at that table because we've lost contact with the kingdom that's in operation here right now and His rule and reign. Are you okay? Yeah. <coughs> now, if there is a kingdom here right now and it is here right now it's, and it's in another realm, it's in a dimension beyond what we see, it's accessed by faith, it would be very cruel of me to tell you that there's a kingdom here and then not tell you how to get in. All right? And this is really, really important. And it ties in with what Shekinah saw in the meeting because God's actually laying a foundation here. <clears throat> Let me say this. Israel moved from Egypt to the wilderness into the promised land. We move from the world to a place where we have our mind transformed. Remember they, they saw themselves as grasshoppers in their own sight. We have no idea who we really are. And so we have to have a transformation of thinking, but we move not into the promised land, but we move into the land of God's promises. They moved into the promised land, where do we go? Into the land of God's promises, all right? So they went to the promised land, but we go into the land of His promises, all right? It's not a physical place. It's a dimensional place, accessed by faith. In God laying out that historical account for us, He's left us clues. He's left us insights, revelatory insights that cause us and help us make that transition and make those transit into God's land of promises. Are you okay? A key verse in the Old Testament is Deuteronomy 8 verse 3. This is really important. Deuteronomy 8 verse 3 would be the pivotal verse that I would want you to leave here with today. I'm going to unpack a lot more, 
all right? And this is being recorded as well, so that you can get that at a later date because sometimes I apply through the Scriptures very, very quickly. Now, Deuteronomy 8 verse 3 says, uh, I humbled you and I caused you to hunger. How I, hung, I, caused, uh, how I led you in the wilderness, I, I humbled you, I caused you to hunger and I fed you with manna. That you didn't know, that your fathers didn't know, that man would come to know that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. All right. One of the verses that Jesus quotes in the tests in the wilderness. Uh, it's the first verse that he quotes because it is pivotal. You can't proceed through your wilderness experience unless you understand this, and you cannot enter the kingdom unless you understand this. Are you okay? Now. What Shekinah saw, she said she saw the cloud, she saw the landscape and she saw what she said was like uh, little clouds or little um, things on the ground. And she interpreted it, what she saw was the mist on the ground because in Exodus chapter 16, when the manna was released, it came in a dew. Some translations say dew, but others say a mist. So God's releasing manna here today. So that's very good, sheer operation there. All right, now watch this. That one verse, Deuteronomy 8 verse 3, describes for us or defines for us what manna is. Manna, according to that verse, manna, I led you with, through the wilderness, I fed you with manna that you didn't know, that your fathers didn't know. I fed you with manna that man would come to know that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Manna is that which proceeds out of God's mouth. Manna is the rhema word. Manna is revelation. You're looking for the keys of the kingdom. The keys of the kingdom are revelation. You step into the kingdom when God releases revelation to you and you apply that revelation. Adam and I are interpreting dreams. God's given you a download. And as we interpret it, it becomes prophetic. But not only does it become prophetic, it releases the kingdom truth in this situation. Are you there? And so manna is that which is the revelation that you need. And if God releases revelation, Jesus said to His disciples, well, who do men to say that I am? And they go, well, some say you're John the Baptist, you know, resurrected. You're, some say you're Elijah. He says, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter comes with a revelation. He goes, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he said, flesh and blood hasn't given you that, but my Father's released it to you. If you get revelation, where did it come from? It came from God. And if God releases revelation to you, He's also released the authority to step into that revelation. Are you okay? If you receive revelation, God's releasing the authority for you to step into that revelation and operate in that revelation. Are you okay? The keys of the kingdom are revelation. The rhema word. Okay, so watch this. He says there in that one verse... Your fathers didn't know it and you didn't know it. So in hindsight, as I mentioned before, the fathers saw themselves as grasshoppers in their own sight. Numbers 13 and 14, correct? All right, now, what this tells us, because they didn't know revelation, they didn't know manna, all right? It means that manna has a capacity to change a wrong mindset. Manna has the capacity to change a wrong mindset because they weren't exposed to it. And that's why they continue to have wrong mindset. Are you okay? But it also says that this generation hasn't known manna. So this, this can include us. All right? 
because our forefathers didn't know revelation. They were religious per se, all right? But now we're the next generation and we're stepping into God's promised land or lands of His promises and God's releasing revelation to us. What this tells us, this current generation, is this. Every one of us places ourselves under a ceiling. All right, and so we have a expectation and we have circumstances that are governed by this ceiling. But revelation or manner has the capacity to, to cause us to step beyond that ceiling because what it does is it provides an image, it provides a model for us to put that into our heart because the kingdom of God's within you. And as you wrap your imagination and your heart around that, suddenly you're in that place. And then you can step beyond yourself into that role and suddenly you're in the kingdom, exercising something beyond yourself. You hear what I'm saying? When you have a dream or a vision or a download, revelationary download, whether it be reading the Scriptures or wherever, if you place yourself in that, you're there. Because the Kingdom of God's within you. Are you there? All right, so now we transition from the world. We need our minds transformed so that we understand these, this truth so that we can go into the land of His promises and start to operate in the Kingdom. The Kingdom is here right now. Let me demonstrate now its eternal nature for you. I'm just trying to govern how much I can unpack here, alright? There is heaps of time. So the Kingdom's here. It's ended through revelation. The kingdom is in an eternal time frame. Let me explain what it, that eternal time frame is. We, you and I live in a chronological time frame. And so this is our experience. And yet the kingdom is, has an internal time frame. And we need to grab a hold of understanding what that actually means. When the book of Matthew is the kingdom gospel. You know, you, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, each one portrays a different aspect of Christ and His ministry. But particularly Matthew's gospel is the kingdom gospel. <clears throat> if I could open it to you, and you don't need all this data, but I'm just setting the scene, all right? Matthew chapter five, Jesus goes, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he closes Matthew 5, that's 5 3, with 5.10 by saying, Blessed are those who persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. They're actually scrollings. This is a kingdom scroll. And in that scroll, what we call the Beatitudes are the precepts or the foundations of that kingdom. Jesus then unpacks that in what we call the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6 and 7. In your Bibles, words in red. And then in Matthew chapter 8, He steps out to demonstrate what He's just taught, like a good teacher. Are you okay? The first thing He does is He heals, not heals, He cleanses a leper. So a leper says to him, can, can you, you know, I want to be cleansed, I want to be healed. He cleanses him and he says, go and give the offering required by Moses to the priesthood. The offering for the cleansing of a leper is to get two turtle doves, two heavenly beings, 
you put one in an earthen vessel, you kill that bird in the earthen vessel so the blood collects in the earthen vessel and you dip the other bird in it so it spreads through its wings the truth of that cleansing. Jesus and the Holy Spirit have come down to heavenly beings. And Jesus in the cleansing of that leper is declaring this day is here. I'm here, I'm the living sacrifice and now Holy Spirit is witnessing with me and cleansing hearts. Are you okay? He then heals the centurion's servant and in the process, uh, you know, the centurion says, all I have to do is say, go, go, come, come and, and one does. He's actually demonstrating that Jesus is operating in the kingdom before His death and the angels are working behind the scenes. You don't see any angels there because the majority of angelic work is unseen. And most of us want to see an angel so we can put it in our brag book. All right. You need to understand that most angelic activity in Scripture is unseen. Most angelic activity today is unseen because the glory's got to go to God rather than you and I about our encounter. Are you okay? So it's not mentioned there in Matthew 8, but we understand that the centurion had an understanding of the hierarchy and the work within the angelic realm. And Jesus... You know, it mirrored that amongst these, the Roman army. Okay? And so angels are dispatched at a word. Instantly they're there ministering as they're dispatched. As I said last night, angels come to earth through your mouth. Those who weren't here last night, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14 says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth for the years of salvation? The word therefore in Greek is dire. It actually means through the ears of salvation. So angels are dispatched through you, through your mouth. And they dispatched as you release the rhema or the, or, the, or the manna through your mouth. Are you okay? Then what Jesus then does is He goes to Peter's mother-in-law's place. This is the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 8. He doesn't go to the cross until Matthew chapter 27. But he's in Matthew chapter 8 and he's demonstrating something for us. So watch this. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 8, he heals Peter's mother-in-law of a fever and then she serves him, correct? And then it says, That night they brought to him all those who were demon-possessed and sick and with a word he cast at the demons and laid hands on those and they were all healed. Are you okay? And then it says this amazing thing. Matthew chapter 8. Matthew 27 is not yet happened chronologically. And it says that he did that. He cast out the demons and he healed all those who were sick to fulfill what Isaiah said that he bore our sicknesses and diseases. Let me ask you a question. Where did Jesus bear our sicknesses and diseases? But he's in Matthew chapter 8. Now, so what, what does he do? You're correct. What he does is he steps out of chronological time, enters the eternal truth that he is the lamb slain from the foundation, Revelation 13, verse 8. He draws that truth and he steps back into chronological time and applies it. Bam! Healing. He's living out of an eternal kingdom, not bound by chronology. You and I have access through him and his bloodshed for us and the establishment of his kingdom that's here right now. We have more. And I, you, whenever you speak of the cross, 
you can't do so without speaking of Christ. And whatever you speak of Christ, you can't do so without the cross. But the cross and the kingdom need to be understood. We can't have the kingdom without the cross. So we need both. Amen. But what we've done is we've been blindsided to the kingdom and the devil loves it that way because we're just hope. We're living in hope. We're not exercising faith because it's a future thing. All the time it's future thing. It's this, this carrot that's dangled in front of us that we actually never get to. All right. And so that's why people are waiting to die to enter eternity. Are you okay? So well, how does this work in the prophetic? And what's the relevance in the prophetic? Well, the prophetic is our access to the kingdom. And our access to the kingdom is through revelation. And every one of you is more prophetic than you realise. Because it's the Father's goodwill to give you the kingdom. So therefore, if it's the Father's goodwill to give you the kingdom, you can receive revelation. Because that's the key of the kingdom. And God wants you to start operating in kingdom truth. That's what prophecy is. You're operating in a kingdom truth. You're actually stepping into that which is rightly yours and your inheritance. Are you there? Otherwise, we're just going through the motions, playing church, waiting for ourselves to all get bumped off, you know, die, so that we can see Him. Are you, are you, and, in, and we can't interact. Angels are here moving amongst us. Angels ascend and descend, as I said last night, because they're waiting for you to pray. Because what they will do is they're, they're not descending and then ascending. They don't come from heaven to here. They go from here to heaven and back. And they bring the revelation that He wants you to have. You're going, Father, I want this. I want more. I want you enthroned in my life. And suddenly angels are going, Boom. you see his heart? Lord, give him something. Give him something. And suddenly, you know, they start to move amongst us. And we get more angelic encounters. We get more power signs. We get more things happening. And it's the reality of what we live in. Are you okay? So, number one, Jesus died on the cross, not only to redeem us through His blood, but he also to establish a kingdom. And it's in operation here right now. <clears throat> it's dimensional, not so much dispensational. But we have this mindset because we live in a chronological time frame. That's why when Jesus ministers in the same way as He did there in Matthew chapter 8, when the Syrophoenician woman comes to Him, it's not yet time for the Gentiles to receive the message of the Gospel. And yet her persistence causes him to step into chronological time and says, well, that's a future dispensation, but because of your faith, I'm bringing it back and you've got what you want. The same thing with his disciples. They're plucking the heads of grain and he goes to the Pharisees, have you not read about what David did when he ate the showbread and it was only available for the priesthood? They're just stepping into a reality beyond their chronological time, beyond law, and He's bringing back the grace and He's bringing back revelation and He's feeding off of that. They're feeding off that. Are you okay? When Samson kills a lion like a kid, that's Jesus' death upon the cross and His defeat of the devil in the wilderness. That lion represents the law and the authority of the law and the territorial spirit that, that, that in a way, it's, it's, it's jurisdiction as it were. When Samson then eats honey out of the carcass, He's living out a revelation from the law. You know, that's why it says that when Jonathan didn't hear his father's command, King Saul's command that you don't eat until the, the Philistines are completely, uh, you know, defeated. When he dips his javelin or spear into the honey and brings it to his eyes, it says that his eyes were enlightened. Where does it say that in the New Testament? How about Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18? It says, 
the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. As we receive revelation, our inner eyes are enlightened. Understanding. What you see in front of you is not the real thing. It's a facade, like a Western movie. But God wants you to see beyond that. So He wants you to understand. What's standing under what you're seeing? Spirit of understanding releases that to us. Are you okay? So the kingdom's here right now. It's entered through revelation and it's in an, in an eternal time frame because He is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. Wow. How many more truths are there than Isaiah 53 hidden for us throughout the book? Are you okay? <clears throat> Let me unlock some for you this morning. Let's start from the foundation of the earth. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1, God said, let there be light. Then he, he separates the waters above heaven or the firmament, old King James, from the waters below the firmament. Day three, he causes the earth to come out of the, the waters under the heavens and plant life to come forth. And day four, he sets the sun and the moon and the stars into the heavens. What are you talking about, Adrian? And on day five, he creates fish life and bird life out of the waters. And on day six, he makes all land animals a man in his own image. Correct? And on day seven, he rests. Watch this. <clears throat> what we have focused in on is the first three days of creation and we've forgotten the next four. But watch this. God said, let there be light. Jesus comes to the earth who is the light of the world. I'm giving you the spiritual overlay. It's interesting. In a scroll, <clears throat> if I were to have a piece of paper and open it up, one end goes like that and the other end goes like that. They're in reverse. And so when you see sometimes in Scripture, you see what they call an inversion. <clears throat> the way that the words are, you're actually unrolling a scroll. And there's a scroll that exists between those two inversions. But that, why I'm saying that is because what it says in Genesis 1.1, this is the history of the heavens and the earth. On the day that God created the heavens and the earth, God said, let there be light. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 3, it says, and this is the history of the earth and the heavens because there's the other end of the scroll. And so Genesis chapter 1 doesn't finish until Genesis chapter 2, verse 3. And scholars may have just got it a little bit wrong. All right. Same in, in, in John 11 with the anointings. It goes into John 12 when he's actually anointed all right, with the raising of Lazarus. But that's another story. On day one, God said, let there be light. Jesus comes to the earth because He is the light of the world. Spiritually, I'm giving you the overlay of the truth that is hidden there. Most of us are focused in on the physical creation and go, wow, that's wonderful. I mean, I was a creation science advocate. You know, I love Ken Ham, uh, Carl Wieland. Uh, I brought them into uh, a church of 3,000 people. My influence did because I was in, on the team in that church in the pastoral role because I love that story and I believe that we should have some scientific backing for our understanding of Genesis chapter 1. So I'm not, I'm not decrying that and I'm not trying to defeat that, but what I'm trying to show you is it's much more important to understand the spiritual lay of land in, in Genesis chapter 1. Jesus comes to earth. He is the light of the world. Now, the separation of waters above and below, in Scripture, the separation of waters always depicts death. So when... So when Moses is going through the Red Sea, it's a depiction of them passing through death. It's their baptism. They're actually passing through the baptism of the death of the Lamb in Exodus chapter 12. 
on the doorposts and lintel. Okay? Moses and the children of Israel walked through that there. Jesus walked on water. Why? Because he overcame death. Someone was walking on water last night. I can't remember who that was now, but all right, because it's the overcoming of death. Are you okay? So Elijah and Elisha, when they come to Jordan, it says that the water parted and they went over. That's them moving through the eternal barrier. That's them moving through death. So Elisha's now learnt how to move into the eternal realm and come back as you're doing right now. Are you okay? Jesus comes to earth. Guess what? He dies, day two. And for that reason, that reason, day one, God says it was good. Day two, He doesn't say it was good. No blessing on a, on a Monday. I said to you last night, Monday Monday-itis is scriptural. No blessing on a Monday, but a double blessing on the Tuesday. God says it's good twice. And for that reason, Orthodox Jews get married on a Tuesday. Okay. That's why it says in John, uh, John chapter 2, on the third day, there was a wedding. Third day from when? It's a Tuesday. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. First day of the week, Sunday. Are you okay? Well, on day three, well, this is what God does. He causes the earth to come forth out of the waters under the, under the heavens. So the, water, the lower waters, what is that a depiction of? Well, the Bible says that we have this treasure in earthen vessels, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7. So the earth is a picture of mankind being led by Jesus Christ, who is God incarnate, coming out of death. Because we baptise by full immersion, underwater's death. When they walk through the Red Sea, they're under death. And so now as He comes out, Jesus is resurrecting and mankind with Him. And then He says, And the earth brought forth grass, herb and tree according to the seed within. You and I are that grass, that herb and those seeds. And we grow in accordance with the Word that comes out of our mouth. Watch this though, day four. So now I've dealt with and I've opened up Jesus coming. Jesus dying, Jesus' resurrection. And that's where we would camp if we believed the 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1 to 4 gospel. What about the rest of the week? We've forgotten the rest of the week, day four, five, six, and seven. We're, we're depleting the gospel. If the gospel doesn't include his ascension, then it's not the pure gospel, the full gospel. Day four. God then sets the sun into the day sky and the moon and the stars into the night sky. My Bible says, now if you want to plumb Scripture and you want to get beyond reading just like a story, you often have to bring more than one Scripture together. Uh, Isaiah 34 verse 16, in, in my paraphrase of Isaiah 34 verse 16 is, every Scripture has a mate. And if you bring the lenses together of the two Scriptures, you'll get a depth of field that you wouldn't have if you were just casually reading through the Bible because God's hidden it from carnal men. Are you okay? So as you're reading Scriptures, what other verses go off inside of you? Bring those verses into play and see whether you get a depth of field. It's like a microscope or like a telescope and you get a depth of field that you wouldn't see 
should you just be reading the narrative? Are you okay? And so my Bible says in Malachi 4 verse 2, it says, And He set the sun into the day sky to have rule or dominion. Day 4, 4 can be the number of rule or dominion. In the book of Revelation, 4 can also be the four corners of the globe. Because they're the four winds or the four corners of the, of the globe or the world. <clears throat> but He set the sun into the night sky. But my Bible says, and I'm bringing another verse to play here, Malachi 4 verse 2, For those who fear my name or His name, the Son of Righteousness, the S-U-N of Righteousness, shall arise with healing in His wings. Correct? Jesus in His ascension is that Son of Righteousness ascending with healing in His wings. Jesus is healing more today. This is what this tells us. He's healing more today than He did when He walked the planet. Most of us go, well, if only I could have been there and got a touch, touched the hem of His garment, but He's healing more now than He did back then. It says that He has rule of dominion over the day. So we've got the earth, we've got the sun in place, but He also set the moon and the stars to have, it says, for signs and seasons. Now, who are the moon and who are the stars? Well, we're going to bring some other Scriptures into play to see who they are. Joseph has a dream, and it's funny that the dream guys are here. Genesis 37, not only do the, the, wheat, the sheaves of wheat bow down to Joseph, but the sun, the moon, the 11 stars bow down to him. And his father, Jacob, interprets that dream and says, Shall I, your mother, and your brothers will bow down to you, your little upstart? Joseph has a pride problem at the beginning of his life. And God actually has to deal with that by putting him in isolation, putting him through a little bit of anguish. So that he would plumb his own heart, so that God can use him. There's a lot more in that, I, um, but let's try to stay on track. <laughs> um, the progression for Joseph is: I've had a dream. Come on in, guys. You're going to bow down to me. And then, before the butler and the baker, he says. Um, the interpretation, belong, the interpretation of dreams belong to God, tell it to me. And, but before Pharaoh, he says, it's not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. He's actually progressed and been humbled in the process. All right, And now he can take the role that God's got for him because he's been through death and resurrection. The death, you know, Joseph interprets, this is Genesis 40. In Genesis 40, he interpret, interprets this. He interprets a bread maker, a dream for a bread maker who was broken and hung on a tree and a wine bearer who was in a pit and was resurrected. Joseph goes through death and resurrection in prison as the cross. And of course, Joseph then is a picture, as he sits alongside Pharaoh, is a picture of Jesus who now distributes the seed of revelation and the word to the world who come to him. Are you okay? <clears throat> Song of Songs, I mean, all the progression is there. In Song of Songs, it's there all the way through Scripture. But let me try to stay on track. So Jacob interprets Joseph's dream that the sun, the moon and 11 stars will bow down to him as shall I and my wife and your brothers will bow down to you. You see, the moon was a depiction of Jacob's wife. Let me ask you a question. Who is the bride of the sun, the S-U-N? Jacob's mother. Did I say that? Oh, sorry. 
No, no, Jacob's bride, wife, uh, Joseph's mother. Yes. All right. And so who is the son, Jesus, who is his bride? We are corporately. Who's the moon? The moon is the body of Christ corporately. And as we corporately come to Him and gaze on His glory, we reflect that glory into a darkened world. That's what happens when we come together and we pray for elections. That's what happens when we come together and we start to pray and in unity for our darkened world, gazing into His glory and that which we have in common in Him. Now it says he put all the stars into the, the night sky for signs and seasons. Who are those stars? Well, Genesis 15, God says to Ab- Abraham, he says to him, your descendants or your seed shall be as the stars of heaven. Those stars are you and I. And guess what? The book of Colossians and the book of Ephesians says that you and I are now seated in heavenly places. Whew. In Him, as we gaze into Him, that glory is reflected off us into a darkened world also. So corporately and individually, there's a call upon us. Wow. Creation. Who would have thought? Day five, day six, the fish and birds are created. Now, fish and birds both have wings. We call fishes wings, or fish wings, should I say. Uh, we call them flippers and fins, but they're just in a different medium. All right. And so they're in the spirit realm, but they're in a different spirit realm. Dimensions in the spirit realm. So they depict spirit beings. And God gave Adam, us, mankind, dominion over the spirit realms above the earth and under the earth. And on the earth in the creatures that he created because we're created in His image. And when they were moulding you, the only one that existed, pre-existed before you were created, before mankind was created, was Jesus because He's the Lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. And so you and I have come out of that same mould. We just didn't realise it. Do you see that the church is focused so much on the cross and, and you, you can't deny the cross, but we've forgotten the kingdom just as you had this morning. Even if your church was called Kingdom Culture Church, it was just a cliche until you start to step into what God has for us in this kingdom. Wow. How We've been blindsided to a truth that the devil loves because we're not starting to activate and move in that which is ours. And it's one day, one day, one day. We're living in hope, not in faith. Are you okay? I've opened Genesis chapter 1 to you. Let me open some more. The the reason the disciples didn't record what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 is because it's already recorded. And the Holy Spirit wants to release to us the revelation that each one contains because as the revelation comes, you can step into the authority that every one of those narratives and stories unlocks. So every feast, you know, we we talk about the year of Jubilee and the 50th and so on, but the year of Jubilee 
begins with the Day of Atonement and the, the, the blowing of the shofar. Well, what is the ultimate atonement? Jesus' death upon the cross, which means that we now are in the year of salvation, the acceptable year, the year of Jubilee, which means that all of our debts are being cancelled and we're no longer slaves to the enemy and we go back to claim our inheritance. Wow. That's what spiritually is true. Leviticus 25, 26, or whatever it is. We just haven't realised it. That the kingdom's here right now. He's enthroned. And now we're enthroned with Him. Now, let me just explain a couple of Hebrew concepts here. We're enthroned with Him. We're the princes alongside of Him, as it were, as He rules and reigns. All authority has been given to Him. Now, the word priest in Hebrew is Kohen, K-O-H-E-N. Are you okay? In Hebrew, if you take the H, the H out of the middle of it, you have Ken, the K and the N, right? And you, you have Ken. In Hebrew, Ken are two letters. And the original form is the, the K or the Kaf, the first letter, is a cupped hand. A hand, a cupped hand. You and I are also a cupped hand because you and I are a concave vessel. But let me just explain this. I don't want to distract too much. I can get off into rabbit burrows all the time. All right? The K is a, a hand. And the N is a noon, which means life or activity. Hand of life in Hebrew, Ken, is yes. If you're extended the hand of life, it's yes. Yes. But the Cohen is the priest and it has a H or a He in the middle of it, the fifth letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And that He, depending on where it comes in the Hebrew word, means different things in context. But in the middle, it means revealed or behold. So let me explain what Cohen is. A priest is a yes with its heart being revealed. And our, our role as priest is to reveal the heart of the yes. That's Him, because all of His promises are yes and amen to the glory of God. Now, the, the, we're told we are kings and priests in the book of Revelation. A king in Hebrew is Melech. That's, that comes from two Hebrew words, malaleka. What it basically means, if I were to paraphrase phrase those two words, it means word do, word do. So what it means is this, do what He says. You do what a king says. So now you and I are priests and kings seated in heavenly places. And when God releases revelation to us, word do, do what He says. That's what the centurion modeled for us as he understood what was going on in the spirit realm. You and I have been elevated to a position of authority to rule and reign, to represent our God who is yes, and bring that to earth. The victory has already been won at the cross. It is finished is that the victory has already been won. We no longer fight, you've heard this before, fight for victory, we fight from victory. That's why I said when you worship, you're declaring the end from the beginning. You're actually there, I already know He's won, so He's worthy of worship. And as soon as you worship Him, you enthrone Him and angels go to work and the kingdom is in operation. Wow. What a kingdom we have. What a kingdom access we have. Now, how do you get in? Through revelation. Who releases revelation? 
God the Father does. Sometimes it's Jesus. Sometimes your angel carries revelation to you because as you pray in your heart is before God, He responds with angelic things. Some of you wake up with a song in your heart and you're going, where did that come from? I wasn't listening to that before I went to bed. That's either God, your spirit or your angel singing to you. It's revelation. You go, well, where's that in Scripture? Go and prove it. Well, Jeremiah 33.3, so maybe you've seen the numbers, 333333. It says, call unto me and I'll answer you and I'll show you great and mighty things you do not know. The word there for answer in Hebrew is I'll answer, I'll respond. But that word is a homograph. That's a word with more than one interpretation, one meaning. Just like, the, you know, if we said beat, beat it, buddy, it means go away. But if we were talking to a drummer, beat, he's, if we were talking to an English policeman, a beat would be his walk. You know, that's a word with more than one meaning. And the word there for answer can be to reply, but it can also mean to shout or to sing. If you call unto me, I could sing to you. I could shout at you. All right, it's in Scripture. All right, and we sing. We sang last night, He's singing over me. And so when you wake up with a song, God's trying to download something to you. He's done it in the quiet moment because you're not working through the list in your soul. He's communicating to your spirit man and He wants you to pick that up. Think through the words of that song. He's releasing revelation to you, either through your angel or directly to you or through your spirit. Wow. <clears throat> Where was I? Whew. Okay. Let's move on. Let's have a look at some of... Now, Jesus accessed Isaiah 53, brought it back into His world because it was a truth, uh, an eternal truth that He had access to. And we now have access through Him, through His death upon the cross, through that eternal barrier. Well, there are lots of classic stories in Scripture. One of those classics of classics is found do I need to unlock any other I'm just trying to think let me open this to you there is a battle between David and Goliath in 1 Samuel chapter 17 that you all would have heard a multitude of messages on and you would have read that passage and been engrossed in it yourself because it's a fantastic uh, battle between good and evil between U.S. submarines and Russian ones. <clears throat> when you are reading a scripture, it's a bit like when you fly, I don't know whether you fly into Newcastle. We tried to get a flight to Newcastle, but we couldn't get one because uh, our office staff left it too late. But um, let's say when you fly into Sydney, you start to see some landmarks that you recognise. You go the harbour, the bridge, the opera house, you go, boom, hey, I'm in Sydney. And then it goes out to sea, comes in over the cliffs, and then the majority of times it comes out over the cliffs and lands on that runway. When you're reading Scripture, if you see the cross or you see Christ in a passage, God's calling you to come down and land and investigate. Because you're seeing the landmarks and He wants you to go in. So in Genesis, sorry, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, there are a few landmarks that cause us to want to jump in. trying to think whether I need to go somewhere else and open another one before I go here. But let me try this and see where we go. 
If you're looking at your watch, it means I've been talking too long. So have I been talking too long? Okay. Someone was gay, I'm not sure. All right. So um, 1 Samuel 17 takes place. It says that the Philistines were encamped at a place called Ephes Damin. Dam is the word for blood in Hebrew, and damin is blood plural. All right. Blood plural is also the word for redemption in Hebrew. All right. Because there's blood money or the price play paid. Oh, no, redemption was bought through his blood. But blood is also the depiction of the eternal barrier because if you shed enough blood, you move into and beyond that eternal barrier. Does that make sense? So the Philistines were encamped there and it says that Goliath and the Philistine army presented themselves to the Israelites and the Israelites <clears throat> were in fear because of his size. Now, what you're seeing in that passage, because it is the boundary of blood and because of David, who has a heart after under God and who is considered a lamb to the slaughter there because he's just a lad and that doesn't, hasn't learned warfare, according to King Saul, and doesn't wear his armour, uh, you know, what would it matter if we wasted the youth in this thing because it's not really us as a man presenting himself to, to challenge him. So it's not really the battle, all right? It's a picture of Jesus dying for us on the cross against the devil. And Goliath is a picture of the devil. How do I know that? I know that because Goliath presents himself for 40 days and he calls and he says, send me a man. When the devil faces you, he wants to face you as a man. He wants to face you in the natural because he will defeat you every time. Now, Goliath is clothed in brass from the head to foot. His greaves or his shin pads, you know, his, his body is all clothed in brass. And brass in Scripture is a picture of judgment because the, the altars were made of brass because every time there was a sacrifice, there was a decision made or a judgment made in the, the person who made the sacrifice's favour. Is that okay? So as Goliath presents himself in brass, he's judging mankind and he wants to face mankind because the devil wants to face you, the natural you. Now, David has comes to the scene and he goes, come on, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that's challenging the armies of the living God? Come on, guys but they're overcome by fear. Now, there is a depiction of fear in that battle. Goliath has a shield bearer, an armor, armor bearer. So he carries his shield, his sword, and all the other implements you know, that he may need in the battle. You know, give me that, you know, his mace or whatever it was that they used in those battles. His shield bearer runs out ahead of Goliath. And that shield is a spirit of fear. Every time you face the devil, he sends forth a spirit of fear. Because what happens is fear divides your head and your heart. And when your head and your heart are divided, see, revelation comes to here. All right? When we line this up with it, suddenly it's not us speaking, but God speaking through us. But what the devil does is he will present fear, a spirit of fear to you so that he can divide your head and your heart. Because if you're a divided man, you will fall. 
Now, hold, can we stay, hold that thought? Let me demonstrate that in the life of Gideon. Gideon has 32,000 men and God says to him, take all of those out of the army that are in fear. Why? Because they're divided and the enemy will defeat them straight away. All right, because they're head and heart or aren't in alignment. So Gideon's left with 10,000 men and then God says to him, now take these guys down to the brook and drink from the stream and the way that they drink, I'm going to select those that go forth. 300 are selected. 300, the glory of God. All right? And this is what they do. It says that all those that lap like dogs, they scoop the water into their hand. We've got a stream here. We've got a running stream, which is a picture of the Spirit of God. When they're cupping their hand, that's in Hebrew, it's cuff. A cuff is a picture of the human heart because you and I are a concave vessel. 11th letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Believers... David writes in Psalm 23, my cup overflows. Well, if it, if it overflows, then he must be a concave vessel and something's been poured into him. Believers are filled by the Spirit of God. How much can a believer, here he is, how much water can a believer hold? Now, some would say that he can hold, whatever that is, 600 mils, but a believer can hold an ocean. You could pour an ocean into that as long as it comes out as well. All right? So God, we are believers. We are concave vessels. When, I've got to go back. So you're going to bring me back three tiers here. All right? Bring me back to Gideon, but then bring me back to David and Goliath. Is that okay? All right. So when God said to Joshua, I want you to go in and possess the land. He said, meditate on my word day and night, right? Because meditation is the ground on which revelation flows. The enemy, what he causes us to do, be busy and distracted so that we can't receive revelation. But then he says this, every place that the sole of your foot shall tread, I've given you. The Hebrew word for soul is cuff. What is it? It's a cupped hand. What's it a picture of? It's a picture of the human heart. In a dream, ladies, your bag, your laptop, your, your bin, your waste bin is a picture of a human heart. All right, God's showing you some things. All right. What he said to him, every place at the sole of your foot shall tread, I've given you. But the truth is this. God will release a revelation to you. Every place at the sole of your foot shall tread. Boom. Put your foot on it. I release revelation to you. Put your foot on it. I release revelation to you. Put your foot on it. What that means is that when, when Peter stepped out of the boat, he wasn't so much walking on water. He was walking on the Word. Come. As the revelation's released, you put your weight on it. And that's how you and I move into the kingdom. Now, Gideon's men, Gideon's men, bring the water from the stream, the Holy Spirit, and they bring it to their mouth. What's that? You bring the alignment of what God releases in your heart to your mouth and you line that up and you are one man. God said to Gideon, you shall defeat the enemy as one man. That's Judges chapter 6, verse 16. Because it's not you standing there, but Jesus in you standing there. 
And He can't defeat Jesus. He can defeat you. But when you speak because you've received revelation, God's on that. God's authority is coming through your mouth. The enemy will try to, to, to smoke some mirrors to try to get you to move. But suddenly when you've got revelation, you stand on that. The enemy's defeated already because we declare the end from the beginning. And we start to worship because we know the end from the beginning and the, the kingdom comes into operation. Woo, woo, woo. Now, watch what they do. Gideon completes that whole picture for us by this. They've got, a, a, an, earthen, they've got an earthen vessel. Remember, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. And we've got a torch inside that or a, a, you know, a flame inside that earthen vessel. And we've got a shafar in our mouth. The shofar is a horn. And in Hebrew, a horn is a symbol of strength. A shofar is a symbol of the prophetic voice because it's the strength of God and it's had the flesh cut out of it. It's a human vessel. And when Gideon's 300 men faced the enemy as one man, he says, do what I do, guys. Breaks that earthen vessel. Then the earthly constraints and all the things that want to inhibit us about our own inferiority, we break that and suddenly the revelation inside of us, like it was in Genesis, uh, Luke chapter 24, was burning within them. Uh, Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 20, I'm not even going to speak your word, but your, burnt, your, uh, your word burnt within me. I can't hold my voice back. And as the revelation comes, it's burning within us and suddenly the earthly constraints are broken and now the prophetic voice, can't understand it. But in the spirit realm, because it's a release of this, suddenly the enemy's routed because it's not you. It's like a, the tumbler's on a lock. Click, 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 click. Bam, it opens. And suddenly there's a release of God in that situation. Are you okay? David and Goliath. Goliath comes and wants to judge mankind. He's clothed in brass. Spirit of fear proceeds ahead because he wants to divide mankind. And the whole of Israel are in fear and trepidation because they're divided men. Now, David says, I can't, well, he says this, Saul suggests that he wears his armour. He says, I can't wear this armour because I haven't tested it, I haven't tried it. Sometimes God speaks the loudest when He doesn't speak at all. Sometimes God speaks the loudest when He doesn't speak at all. Let me give you some examples of that, which fill into the picture of what I'm sharing here. The Pharisees come to Him, or it's actually the Sadducees, it's the priesthood. They come to Him and they say, what's the basis of your authority, Jesus? Why are you doing these things in the temple? And He goes, let me ask you a question. The baptism of John, is it from God or from men? They go away and they go, hey guys, uh, what are we going to say? If we say it was from God, then you'll say, why didn't you believe him? And if we say it's from men, then the people will stun us because they believe it was from God. So what are we going to do, guys? We've got to say we don't know. Jesus, we don't know. And Jesus goes, neither will I tell you the basis of my authority. Because authority is when your head and your heart line up. And they were double-minded. They had no authority because they weren't hearing from God and they weren't speaking what they heard from God. Bam, bam, bam. No authority. And this, you've got revelation in your heart and your mouth lines up with it. Are you okay? Yeah. 
How do we get into that kingdom? What are the keys? Revelation. Kingdom's here right now. It's in an eternal time frame. And all we have to do is wait on Him, meditate in His Word, whether it be dream, vision, or the Logos, and suddenly He unlocks it to us. All right? So now, David says to King Saul, look, I can't wear your armour because I haven't tested or tried it. What armour had he tried? Fair question. He tried God. And David says, I've defeated a lion and a bear. And that then gives him, in a sense, Saul, the confidence to send him to face Goliath. The lion speaks of authority and this bear speaks of a religion. David had to, in some way, overcome the authority of the, well, sometimes the authority of man and the religious spirit. Now, in Scripture, if you do a Boolean search, that's where you put a couple of words together and you do lion and bear, you'll, you'll find out where those two things come together. It's the lion's roar and the bear's paw. Because a bear is a depiction of a religious spirit or can be in a dream. Sometimes it, it could be a bear market, you know, to, financially. But a bear, what a bear does with his claw is he disembowels that which is in your stomach or your heart. And what a bear eats, in Hebrew, the word for honey is devash. And in Hebrew, what it spells is what the bear eats. Honey is what the bear eats. Religious spirits try to steal revelation from your heart. And if you're going to face your Goliath or face your battle, you have to overcome both the lion, some level of authority, sometimes it's in the natural, and you have to overcome the religious spirit who tries to disembowel you of what God's placed in your heart. And then you are ready to face the devil. So your spirit of fear tries to divide you, tries to disembowel you, tries to usurp you, Eliab comes to him and says, well, look at you, what are you doing here? You know, you young upstate, you should be back there looking after those few sheep back there. Tries to intimidate him to go back and shrink back into being just a mere shepherd when he's not, he's got a relationship with the Father. Are you okay? Right, now, <clears throat> so Goliath's clothed in brass, he's there ready to judge mankind. David, you know the story, picks up five stones. Most would tell you that he picked up five stones because <clears throat> Goliath had four brothers. It could also be true that because there are five, I was going to go five, five cities of the Philistines, it could be true that each city had their own champion and he was anticipating faith facing them as well. But if you get the kingpin, you got the rest. All right. So if you defeat the devil, then you've defeated his hordes as well. So <clears throat> what happens is this, David picks up five stones, but that's not the reason that he picks up those five stones. The reason he picks up those five stones is because the devil comes to judge mankind, but at the cross, Jesus defeats him. And he does that this way. The first five tribes, the high priest wore an ephod with 12 stones on it, correct? Well, the first five stones just happened to spell this out. Um, the first son is Reuben, all right? Behold a, a son. Reuben means behold a son. Shama means hearing. So we've got Reuben, Shama. We're talking about the tribes, all right? Through the stones. 
All right, Levi, joined or united. Judah, praise. And Dan, judge. Behold, a son hearing united in praise brings judgment. And so what, what does David do? He puts a stone. He puts Dan into that sling. And what's a sling? It's a concave vessel. What's a picture of? Human heart. All right. And he starts to get some momentum. A circle is eternal. Its spirit has no beginning, no end. Unlike a square is regulated or religious. So out of his spirit comes a projectile. Here comes the word of judgment to you, devil. Bam! All right? Hits Goliath in the head. Depending on what translation you read, he falls to the ground, all right? Now, it says that he overcame him with a sling and a stone, but it also says that he ran to the body, to the carcass, or to the, you know, it's not a dead body yet because he has to do something first before it is declared dead. What does he do? He runs to the body of Goliath. How does he kill him? Takes whose sword? Goliath's sword. Why is it Goliath's sword? Because the devil uses the God's Word against us. And he draws that same sword. Jesus, who is the only righteous, sinless one, now can do that. And he lops off his head and takes away his authority. And what you see then, you know, you know the story, Perry Stone teaches that then he takes that head back to Jerusalem and Golgotha means the skull of Goliath. All right. And so that's the same place where Jesus died upon the cross, rather coincidentally. Is that you okay? All right. And so then David overcame the enemy. But this is what happens in that battle that really further strengthens that argument. The devil says, you know, come to me, you little upstart. I'm going to tear you apart and throw you to the birds. And he goes, you come to me with sword, spear and shield, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. Now the word L-O-R-D, it says that in our English Bibles, is the word word or the God's name, Yahweh, Jehovah, Yod, Hey, Vav, Hey. Yod is a hand, Hey means behold, Vav is a nail, Hey means behold. I come to you and behold the hand, behold the nail. I come to you in the victory of the cross, an eternal truth, and I'm declaring that over you, devil, right now. As you try to judge me and mankind, I'm standing in the victory already. Boom. Because the cross declared you're defeated already in eternity. He's the lamb slain from the foundation. Israel, us, then run at the Philistines and raid their camp. You and I have permission through Jesus' death to take back what the enemy, the land he's encamped upon and that tre- all those treasures and the things that are ours. They want to stop us getting into heaven. They're encamped at Ephes Damon, but Jesus defeated them and made a show of them openly and moved into that realm. Are you okay? Whew. The cross is hidden all the way through 
the Scriptures, all the way through the Scriptures. And we now have the delight to unearth revelation that we can start to work and live in. So you enter the kingdom through revelation. You and I are a sling and God wants to release revelation to us so that we can run at the enemy. We apply the word or the revelation that comes to us and then we back it up with the rest of God's word and we lop off the enemy's head, the authority in that situation. Now, you can find the gospel and you can find revelation in one verse. You can find it in the narrative. You can find it in a story. And I want to close this morning with one story from Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22. Proverbs 13, 22 says, Old King James, or King James says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. You've heard that verse. A good man. Now, in, in the Bible, the word man is in italics in the Old King James because it's been inserted. So it says, A good leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Now, they put man in there to help our understanding, but it actually throws us off a bit. Now, Jesus said there's only one good, and that is, hello, God. All right? There's only one good, and that's God. So let's read that and put God in there. A good God leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but it actually doesn't say children. It says Ben, Ben. Ben in Hebrew is son, sons. So a good God leaves his, or let me say this, if he's got sons, then let's call him the father. All right. So a good father leaves an inheritance to his son's sons. Wow. Who, possibly, who could that possibly be? Hello? Hello, here we are. A good father leaves an inheritance to his son's sons. And then it says, And the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. Now that word wicked in Judges chapter 20 describes those who can't hit with a sling the target that they're aiming at. Rather coincidentally. So what it means is this, and we can take the liberty of reading something else in there. A good father leaves an inheritance to his son's sons and the wealth of the wicked is those with a sling who don't hit the target means those without revelation. And therefore we can interpret the rest of that verse in context as those with revelation. So a good father leaves an inheritance to his son's sons and the wealth of the wicked is laid up for those, or the wealth of those without revelation is laid up for those with revelation. That's us. That is us. God wants to release revelation to you. God is continually releasing revelation to you. Meditation's the ground. Revelation's the ground on which revelation flows. Don't be distracted. Don't be busy. Don't worry about Facebook, social media, all the agenda. Spend time in Him and in His Word and suddenly revelation will come and you can walk in that every day. How often do they have to go and get manna? You go, well, manna's Old Testament, isn't it? That's Old Testament. What about me in the New Testament? We pray a prayer. We call it the, Father, the Lord's Prayer. We go, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our, what's daily bread? 
manner, absolutely. You and I need revelation every day. Wow. God wants to provide for us. God wants us to move into the kingdom that's here, interdimensionally here, and we can enter into it as we receive revelation from Him. We start to apply that revelation. We line our mouth up and our actions up with what He releases to our heart. Boom, that hits you. Bam. I'm going to live in that. And as soon as He releases a revelation, you've got the authority to step into it. You apply it. You get your spirit and you throw that word out as hard and fast as you can at the enemy. You down him. Then you use the rest of God's word to pull him apart. Are you okay? Very practical. Now, I want to close this morning. I want you to, to, to do a prophetic act. If you read through the prophets, they often did prophetic acts. They dug through walls. They, they you know, slept naked on one side and on the other side. They did all these the prophetic acts. I want you to stand with me because the Father <clears throat> is releasing revelation today, releasing manna as the Shekinah released this morning, said, hey, the clouds here, we're moving through the wilderness and God is releasing manna to us this morning. That confirmed my word to me. It gave me confidence. I went, yes, God, you're here. I know what I'm going to release this morning. You and I have a Goliath facing us and let's consider that Goliath financial Goliath day because the wealth of the wicked is taken or the wealth of those without revelation is laid up for us. And we know it's the Father's goodwill to give us the kingdom and we're His son's sons. So I want you to picture that financial Goliath that's a stronghold or a strong man resisting you. And if, even if you have a revelation for that or if you just use my revelation here this morning, I've shared this morning because now you've been given the authority because the revelation has been released to you. And if you've received that revelation, you can stand in that revelation. I want you to put that revelation or whatever revelation God's shown you financially into your sling. All right, your spirit man. And I want you to do an act. All right, don't, you're not silly. You're actually doing something in the spirit realm. And now, come on, that's not going to kill anything. All right. All right, you've got a sling. And I want you to, in your mind's eye to see that, that strong man resisting you, your Goliath. And right now, whether it's a mortgage, whether it's a debt, whether it's a car payment, whatever it happens to be right now, a, a student loan, whatever that is right now. And Father, right now, we release the, your provision right now. We release it right now. Wham! All right, in the Spirit. Now, I want you to picture that stone striking it in its authority. Crunch! That mortgage, we break it. That finance we need for the house, we break it. The enemy's trying to hold us back and because finances need to flow so that the kingdom can move into operation. Every one of you, you're the head and not the tail. Amen? And so Father, so imagine it's striking the enemy. All right? He's been downed. Now you're going to run to him in the Spirit. You're going to lop off his head. He became poor that you would become rich, the Bible says. Amen? And you apply the Word of God. Boom. All right? And then you step into possessing what He's given you. You run to the Philistine camp and you raid and take back that which the enemy's taken in Jesus' name. Amen. And God bless you this morning. Thanks for listening. This has been another Kingdom Community Church podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to www.kingdomcc.com.au. 